Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 129. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about why your school culture matters with Heather Schaefer. Recently, I've been sitting on a committee of school leaders who have been researching best practices for school culture. And the feedback from that conversation reassures me when I look at the best practices that I see happening in schools that are positively affecting students. And the researcher who sat on that team with me is Heather Schaefer. We followed up after that meeting for the conversation that you're getting ready to hear because I wanted to just be able to give you some feedback of what does the research say that supports best practices when it comes to school culture in terms of how leaders operate in their cultures, how teachers operate within those cultures, and how students operate within those cultures. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. I hope you're having a great week. Thanks for doing what matters. I'll talk to you soon. Heather works for the K-20 Center at the University of Oklahoma, and together we've been sitting on a committee that has been pulled together with the K-20 Center, uh, the Oklahoma School Board Association, and COSA, and those organizations have been working together with committees looking at research from almost every area of school community uh, that you can imagine. And specifically, the, the table that I've been working with and the committee I've been on has been with school culture. And Heather's work with the K-20 Center has been to help us research to make sure that we are um, following best practices and that we have solid source material for the directions that we're going when we share out some position statements that are going to come from all those meetings. And so, Heather, thank you for joining me this morning in this conversation. I'm so excited. Let me give you an opportunity first just to introduce yourself, your educational background, and then uh, how you ended up at the K-20 Center. Sure. Um, So, as well said, I'm Heather Shaffrey. I have two biology degrees. I I got my... uh, my BS at University, excuse me, Arizona State University, and then a master's at um, University of Pittsburgh. And from there, I ended up, I was teaching undergrads as part of my degree and decided that I really, as much as I love practicing science, I wanted to teach. So I ended up in Oklahoma um, teaching middle school science for a few years. And through professional development opportunities and just getting involved in the education community in Oklahoma City, the opportunity to work at K-20 presented itself. And I was supposed to be teaching high school biology, and I really loved all of the students I was going to have, but um, my job at K-20 is kind of a dream job, and I couldn't pass that up. So I primarily work as a liaison between scientists and teachers now, and uh, I run professional development, authentic research experiences for teachers. And so we pair them up with scientists, and they learn how to do science as science is done in the wild, and then I help them turn that into curriculum for their classrooms. And then I'm a a doctoral student at the University of Oklahoma as well. Well, congratulations, Heather. And one of the things that I've so enjoyed about the conversations we've had um, together is that I consider myself a practitioner, although now that I'm working in the role of an executive director, I'm often providing resources and support and training for practitioners. And you are a former practitioner, but now the primary role that you play in research and support and development 
really gives a, a deeper look into some of the, the background information that really helps inform the practices that we do. And so I wanted to ask you, because you've you spent quite a bit of time looking at the importance of school culture. And so many of the colleagues that I have understand that culture is the foundation for school in general. If they're going to build good school communities, then culture is such an important part of that. And I, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the resources that you found helpful that you would recommend to educators when it, when you're looking at the importance of school culture? So there are, there are a a surprising number of school culture and climate um, resources out there. And there are a few organizations, and I'm going to pull up those names really quick so I give them correctly. There is the National School Climate Center. They were an incredible resource when I was making sense of what school climate and culture and what quality climate and culture look like. And the uh, NSCC does broad scale climate surveys. They do focused professional development. They provide case studies of really successful districts that they've worked with in schools and sort of give a a general overview and their approach to the steps to make quality um, school climate and culture. So I found that really valuable. And then honestly, there are quite a few government organizations that lay out guidelines for from safe schools to parental and community interaction and a lot of good step-by-step. Oh, what's the word that I want? I guess plans of action for how to accomplish that. Of all of those, was there anything that stood out to you significantly when you were looking at all that research as a part of our group, because we were sharing best practices, but one of your goals was to make sure that the things that we were sharing were supported by good research. I found it really surprising how consistent school climate and culture like guidelines are. And I guess the two things that really stood out to me are the importance of the leader of a a building, but also their ability to share leadership with the other, um, the staff and the faculty within their buildings as well. And not just at the school level, but branching up into the district level as well. And then related to that, the really the importance of listening, but doing so meaningfully. So not just listening to acknowledge that, yes, I understand you have some ideas too, but actually saying, I value your ideas and I'm going to incorporate those or we're going to pull out, we're going to compromise or find the best of what you think and the best of what your neighbor thinks. And we're going to really come together and do something with that which, you know, is part of that shared leadership piece, but it was just such a a crucial component that kept coming up with this valuing other people's voices beyond just giving them an opportunity to say things out loud. That does confirm a lot of good practices that I've seen. And surprisingly, I would say the majority of the leaders that I communicate with seem to have that as an understanding, but then I still hear comments sometimes that make me feel like that there are school cultures where there's still an us versus them mentality. And so I'm, I'm just curious in your practice, because you've been in the classroom too, and now that you're on the side of research, how have you seen those practices work well? And then how have you seen them not work well? So sort of a general, and not just from a leadership perspective, but sort of best practices in general. Um, mm-hmm. A trend that I've noticed is teachers and leaders who say, who understand the research and they buy in and they say, these best practices are amazing. We see the value. We look at these um, examples where it's working even locally and we think that's great, but then when they go to implement them, they don't implement them. Mm-hmm. So it's, I work with pre-service teachers as well. And so they'll be able to explain everything we're doing and they love it and they're ready to go. And then they sit down to write a lesson and they write the very thing that they said they hated. when they <laughs> were and it's, 
it's a similar thing when you start looking at these um, climate and culture best practices. And I think some of it's just a cultural thing. It's so ingrained the way that we operate that sometimes the climate culture lags. I have seen really great examples of shared leadership and this listening aspect. When I was teaching, I had a really excellent administrator for a couple of years. And at least with a small group of us that she trusted to help point everyone's arrows in the same direction, there was a lot of collaboration and a lot of really an ability to tell our principal, that's a terrible idea. Like, that's not going to work. Sounds great on paper, but here's all of the reasons why we need to do something different. And I think that willingness to, I don't even want to say be wrong, but that willingness to put your own ideas aside and take someone else's as being better than yours or more effective than yours, I think was a really important trait from building leaders and I also had the complete opposite, where we sort of ended up with the building burning down around our ears and denying that fire existed. And that was a lot of that, yeah, we want to hear your voice, like we want everyone involved in this, and then we're going to go ahead and do exactly what we planned anyway, regardless of how much pushback we get from our staff and our faculty. Mm-hmm. And I I think it was that that listening piece and the willingness to to compromise and to, to genuinely share the leadership practices in the building. Yeah, and I think that's such an important aspect, Heather, and we weren't going to have this conversation, but I'm interested in your perspective. We've seen so much transition in teacher retirements and then hiring and recruiting and retaining good teachers, not just in Oklahoma, but nationally. And there's this, you know, there's been a huge trend nationally for teacher shortages, emergency certifications. Part of that has been directly tied to the lack of funding and support that schools are receiving. And then part of that is if you look at the generational changes that are happening too, there's there's a lot of people retiring and then a lot of younger people moving into a workforce where there's, in some cases, fewer of them than the folks that were retiring. And so so for the folks that were, that were recruiting in from, the, from millennials or Gen Z that's going to be coming into teaching soon, there's some differences in those generational cultures too. You know, millennials and Gen Z teachers I think, and this is where I'd like to see what, what your perspective is. I think that they there's an ex- expectation of shared leadership there that if they don't find it, they're probably going to go somewhere else. Do you agree? I do. And I, I have lots of feelings about millennials being considered one myself and not feeling like I actually fit sure. story. But that idea of shared leadership, I, I would say I definitely agree on a personal level too. If I feel like I don't have a say in the... Like I'm operating in this space, especially in a job where like your contract hours are 40 hours a week, but realistically, most teachers are working at least 50 to 70 hours a week um, because they put in so much time outside of school. If I'm putting in that much of my life into something and I have zero input and zero, like there's no locus of control for me, I'm going to be miserable. And I don't want my job to suck the soul out of me. Well, the year that I was uh, working with a really difficult leadership team, I was seriously contemplating leaving mid-year and I was, you know, I wrestled with a lot of guilt over that, but there was so much of my voice wasn't valued and it gets to the point when you are asked for your opinion and your input and it's continually ignored, people stop innovating and they stop inputting and they stop investing and it just creates this downward spiral. Just kind of brings us full circle because that's why school culture is something, it's not a one-time deal. It's not something that you can implement. Here's our culture program. And we followed these steps. Now we're done. 
it's like cultivating a garden. I mean, you have to continuously visit over and over and over again, the practices of engaging and listening and responding. And sometimes you do that well and sometimes that you don't. I'm, I'm thinking back in my own practice as a school principal, mm-hmm. you know, for years we would set up faculty meetings by creating agendas, calling in people, delivering those agendas, and then they're back out to their classrooms. And several years ago, I began to make a transition where before we would have a scheduled faculty meeting, I would pull in a group of teacher leaders and say, would you tell me what you think are priorities that we needed to be discussing at our next meeting? Here's a list of things that I think need to be discussed. And often what would happen is I would get direct feedback from them as to what was really important, what could be covered through an email, not a meeting, or or what could be removed from the agenda because it was going to take too long to cover that information. So by the time we got to the meeting, it was effective, productive, interactive, and, and more meaningful. That doesn't mean that every meeting we had was great. I'm just saying that because I began to approach those meetings as something before I stepped into them that could be shared input, then I felt like those meetings weren't a waste of time because people feel, I, I think educators especially feel like they waste a lot of time in meetings. Oh, absolutely. And, so, and that's so true. Those comments that you made about um, zapping your innovation and your creativity, your drive, your passion for being there, all of those things, but then turn that on its head. When you feel like you have support, when you feel like someone has your back, when you feel like people believe in you, even if it's hard, when you feel like someone's in there with you and they're cheering you on and they believe in what you're doing and they love to see the work that's coming from, then you, it just accelerates all, all, all of the creativity and innovation that you want to continue to. So it's just huge. That's, uh, it's one of the reasons that I, I was looking forward to visiting this conversation with you again too, because I know you've looked a lot at this issue for as we've researched school culture, were there any other aha moments that you had when studying school culture or best practices that you thought were important to, to pull out? You know what? Yeah. And this was something that I, I definitely struggled with as a teacher, pretty much at every level that I've worked at. And it's involving students in that shared leadership too. Mm-hmm. And at the school level, yes, like that's really important. And a lot of schools have implemented, you know, like student liaisons or pulled in students as part of their leadership team. But student leadership within classrooms and not identifying like that right there, that's your A plus student, that's your go-getter, they're your leader, but actually soliciting student input. What what do students want to learn? What things do they care about? What are they doing outside of their school hours, especially with technology? And then really leveraging that and finding a way to integrate that into the things that we're required to teach or that are valuable objectively um, in terms of student life skills or learning in whatever content area they're in. And that's really hard as a teacher. I think especially if you're in a situation where you have a lack of autonomy and a lack of opportunity to innovate, like your classroom is the one place that you can control the space. And I think a lot of times that comes at the expense of students, you know, student input and student buy-in, which becomes a nasty spiral as well. I think that was a big thing that you know, you're aware of it in the back of your mind, but to actually see it come up over and over again in research and in best practices, it it was really sort of eye-opening, I guess. That's such a great observation. And what I love about it is that, you know, we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about how difficult it is for teachers to feel innovative, creative, enthused for teaching when they don't feel like they're a part of the leadership, shared leadership in the school. Mm-hmm. But how much more important is it for our students to feel that way if they're actually going to be learning? Well, and I I feel that, especially in my field, because I'm a science educator and so many people have had such awful science experiences that 
there's this uphill battle because you're, especially by the time students at middle school, they've had the creativity sucked out of them and they've lost their passion for science is a really innovative field. And it's, it's everything that we deal with has science related to it and they can't think about it and they don't know how to ask questions because they've been so beaten down by this, like memorize things, read from your textbook. Here's some really boring ways to learn science. And so you see that compounded. It, it really does keep students from being able to innovate and buy in and move beyond those previous experiences and really be able to transform their own experience. Well, relationships are so important. And yeah. when I when I watch, sometimes I call them magic teachers. You know, when you're in a classroom and you just feel like this this is magic that's happening. And really, it's not magic. It's beautiful, but it's not magic. What's happening is often your strongest teachers are people that are incredibly organized, understand procedures and processes, and have built in those understandings for their students, but they also have developed deep, deep trust with their kids. And so because they trust their students or they have built trusting relationships with them, they, they invite student input. Then you have a, like an energy and an atmosphere for growth. And, and just think how powerful that is if it's school-wide. You know, yeah. if the teachers feel that from their leaders, the leaders feel that from their teachers, and then the students feel that from everyone else as well, it just accelerates the ability for learning to take place. And I know that that's often, you know, pie in the sky utopia, but I think it's, I think the research isn't just research. You know, these aren't just best practices that we talk about when we're talking about school culture. These are things that when you and I step into strong classrooms, we're seeing it happening. And when we step into schools that are thriving, we see it happening school-wide and it's not something that can, that's only isolated to certain demographics. Right. And, I, and I'll say this for my practice, you know, I've stepped into schools in urban settings that are, let's say, you know, magnet schools that can apply and have students, you know, interview to get in. And, you know, you could say, well, they're thriving because they got to handpick their kids. Well, actually, some of the settings I've been in, they're thriving because they, they practice best practices. And then I've been in urban settings where nobody in there got to interview to get in. And yet the principals and teachers have such a strong culture and love for those kids that they're flourishing and their graduation rates are increasing every year because they're doing the same best practices that you and I are talking about right now. And I've seen it in suburban schools. I've seen it in rural schools. I've seen it in urban schools. And so, and and I've been in places that aren't thriving. And so part of the joy of being in my role now is being able to step into schools with practitioners and watch the things that they're doing and then see the research you and I are talking about in practice. And as yeah. somebody, you know, as you know, with 24 years of, of school experience before this position, I, I've done it right and I've done it wrong. And so it's just so fun in, as, a, as a practitioner to talk to someone like you, Heather, who's looking at the research, who's finding that these best practices are things that are consistent over time, over place, uh, it doesn't really matter what kind of school you're talking about. And and I love it that that it works not just for teachers, but it works for students too. Is there anything yeah. else you wanted to, to add to that? I guess there, there are two related things. One that I thought of earlier and didn't fit in, but the other really great thing that came out in the research, especially as this culture shifts, as technology increases in the way that we interact uh, digitally and in person changes, bullying is such a huge problem. One of the things that kept popping up, and it wasn't emphasized as much as I feel like it probably should have been, positive climate and culture, and particularly the ones where students are part of the shared leadership process, see significant reductions in their bullying in their schools. Because everyone is, everyone's invested in everybody else. It's not just that, you know, we're invested in learning and trying to graduate, but the people around us matter. 
students genuinely feel valued by their teachers. They look out for one another and you see this sort of domino effect of kids picking on each other less because they feel empowered and they feel uplifted by the things happening in their buildings. And that's not to say that it doesn't happen, but it does a lot of these schools that they you know, hold up as exemplars or where best practices come from note what a significant difference they saw in the way that students interacted with one another. Um, just sort of as a, a side student anecdote, this is such a shift for kids too. Like it's hard work for teachers and for buildings and it's, it can be scary to sort of, you know, put some of that control into the hands of your students. Cause it sounds like, you know, monkeys running the circus kind of a deal. Um, but when you tell the kids like that you're giving them responsibility and you implicitly trust them, they're, perplexed by it. I had something stolen from my classroom and the students are like, well, miss, it's, you should have locked it up. You know, you, it was going to get stolen. And I was perplexed by that because I'm like, you want me to implicitly assume that you're going to do something criminal. Like you want, do you want me to just assume that you're, you know, a terrible person or you're stealing things from me? And when I asked that question, he just kind of took a step back and was like, oh yeah, you really don't treat us that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was confused by that because he had not been offered leadership in his previous experiences. Not to say I was the only one doing it, but, you know, coming through a system, especially in urban schools, that can just be so lacking for kids. Mm. But I think that that spiraling effect really exists outside the buildings, too. And so part of this change and part of this innovation and the climate and culture shifts that are coming, I think people need to be able to hold on to a long-term vision for that because it is slow. And as you turn over from the older generation of teachers who are retiring, if we can recruit and retain the newer teachers, the millennial teachers, the Gen, geez, the Gen Z teachers that are going to be coming in soon, as they start to move in and these changes in innovation, if we can make those become the norm, then I think it starts rolling out to parents. If we invite parents in and they understand, they'll support it more. And if parents are supporting it, they're going to put pressure on their legislators or their local leaders, and they can start to support it more. We need people in buildings who are there now. We need those veteran teachers who, who want this and are hungry to have autonomy and, and creativity in their lives. We need the whole building everywhere to be able to create that leadership structure before anything else happens. Like yeah. if, if everyone in your building is miserable, you're going to go nowhere, and your community is going to see that everyone's miserable and going nowhere, and it's just it continues to spiral either out of control or towards something better. Oh, those are great observations, Heather. You know, one of my favorite authors for generational research is Tim Elmore, who's going to be coming to speak at the COSA Summer Conference in June 2019. And Tim talks about the fact that, you know, when you're working in, whether it's schools, organizations, leadership groups, and, you're, and you have multiple generations in a place, which this is exactly what schools are, that you have to be committed to both the timeless and the timely and so, you know, the timeless truths are that relationships, interactions, valuing other people, being places where people can belong and be safe, those are timeless principles that if schools practice, you know that you're going to have a place where learning can thrive. And then the timely is responding to the generational changes, the innovation needs, the technologies that we have now, all of those things that if we don't stay if we don't stay learners, then we, then we miss out on opportunities. And so, you know, culture is one of those things I think that has so much timeless, there's so many timeless uh, principles involved, but I also think there's a lot of timely things too, being aware of what's happening in our culture. And you and I both know uh, in the culture that we live right now, that it's for some of our students, school is 
the place where they find belonging or safety or security or a place where they're treated with respect and dignity. And, and I wish it was that way in every home as well. And there are many homes where, where they are treated with that respect, but they spend seven to eight hours a day in our care. And so it just has to be the number one priority of our schools. Obviously instruction is the goal, but it cannot happen if we don't have places where kids feel belonging, where they, where they feel secure, uh, where they feel valued uh, and where they have an environment where they know they're protected. And so I appreciate all your research. Thank you for giving me this time of your morning. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm looking forward to, for those of you that are uh, either listening to this recording or, or watching this, Heather and I will connect and I will share some of the um, resources that she's mentioned and, and some follow-up show notes that I'll, I'll post with this recording. Um, but Heather, thank you so much for the work that you're doing with the K-20 Center. Thank you for being a champion for students and schools. And uh, I look forward to staying connected. Thanks so much, Will, for having me. Mm-hmm.